Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Real Reading Talk. I am your host, Ms. Sasha. And with Real Reading Talk, we discuss the real systemic issues that are at the very core and foundation of why there are low levels of literacy in the Black community and ways in which we are able to combat these issues. And the reason why I came up with the concept of real reading talk, because in the Black community, when we talk, when we are trying to discuss uh, real issues, we tell a person, hey, look, give it to me real. Give me that real talk, that straight up, no filters, all right? You know, no chaser, if you will, okay? No sugarcoating. And so that is what we do here. This is the space that I've created on my podcast, Real Reading Talk. And I thank you all for joining me today. Now, I am so happy that I have a wonderful guest uh, on my podcast today. He is someone that we go way, way, way back, y'all, to Kent State. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and I am so happy that he had accepted my invite to come onto my podcast. And let me, get, let me give you guys a, a real quick uh, little intro before he comes on in and uh, talk a little bit about himself and, you know, we engage into this great conversation. And, and, and let me add this too as well. Real Reading Talk is not just about talking. It's actually going to lead us all into actions because my goal is to help develop a culture of literacy in the Black community. That is my ultimate goal. We want to get back to our roots, our African roots, of having literacy being high on our value ladder. All right? So with that being said, here it is, this brother here. Brother Morris Irvin Mansa uh, Musa. Yeah. Uh, he is affectionately called as well. He is an educator, consultant, entertainer, writer, and youth development professional. 20 years, y'all, in education, 20 years in education, mentoring, community building, and equity and anti-racism work. Been married to a beautiful, brilliant Black Muslim sister, 23 years, and she is a veterinarian, y'all. Okay, shout out to her. The sister is dope. And yes, that is his queen, okay? Believe that. And, ha and he has two young adult children in college, y'all. Oh, my God. Y'all, please give it up for Brother Musa in the house, y'all. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. Appreciate being on this show and such a, such a crucial topic, literacy. Thank you for all that you do, you know, for our community with literacy. Like, this is the number one topic that we all need to have many, many conversations about. So, it's an honor to be on, on your podcast. Thank you so much. You are very well. Thank you again. Like I said, it's an honor to have you here. I mean, you know, the things that you have been doing in the community. I mean, like you said, you know, educator, you know, mentor, you know, entertainer, that's definitely for sure. And all of those things, you know, just fuse together to empower our youth. I mean, that's just awesome. And we really, really appreciate you. And I really want the listeners to get to know more about you. And then we can delve into in terms of, you know, your outlook um, in terms of what I said 
about the low levels of literacy in the Black community. So first, I want you to tell everybody uh, when you, you know, when did you decide to uh, become an educator? Yeah, so I just, I decided to become an educator when I was a high school student, actually. I went to Cleveland Heights High, Black and Gold, Tigers. And I was an average student, um, very smart, but I didn't feel like my teachers really like saw, saw the greatness in me or they really challenged me, right? So I just really just did enough. So I was really curious about becoming an educator because I actually wanted to do a better job than my teachers did with me. So that was one of my initial motivations to become a teacher. Because I had some really poor, I mean, I had a few good ones, but systemically overall from pre-K to 12th grade, like I have more like bad, you know, bad ones or underperforming teachers or teachers that I really feel like didn't really tap into my potential or, or other young black males potential also. So that's why I wanted, it was something in that that really sparked my interest of wanting to pursue education. And that's why I majored in education um, when we met um, at Kent State University. Wow, that's awesome. And you know what's interesting, uh, what you just said in terms of you felt like you weren't challenged enough. And I think, and we definitely, we're gonna get more, we're gonna definitely tackle uh, more into that because I definitely think that that's one of the issues that, uh, that we are dealing with in terms of uh, black children in the classroom. A lot of times when you see those behavioral issues is because of the fact they feel like, okay, this information that they're learning, it's either is boring. <laughs> they feel like it don't relate to them, you know, or they feel like they're not being challenged. They're like, okay, this is, I need something that's going to stimulate me, you know, and especially from the black male, you know, perspective, that's something I've definitely seen. And then, and even in going into that, let me ask you, so being an educator and being in the classroom, you know, uh, tell us what was it that you saw in terms of Black children when it came to reading? What was the experiences, uh, you know, that you uh, were privy to when it came to uh, Black children and, and, and reading? Yeah, so for me, I taught social studies, American history, world history, uh, geography, geopolitics, African-American studies. And for those courses, like history is very like information-based and literacy is a huge, a huge part of really being able to understand and to be able to have a conversation. For me, my classes were based on really having the knowledge, but applying the knowledge, whether in role plays or debates or many different types of ways. You know, there are nine ways that we learn, right? Nine, you know, intelligence that we have, not just the reading and writing, but the, the body kinesthetic, the music rhythmical, right? So there are many different ways, uh, auditory, visual, spatial, so to be able to really have fun and tap into our creativity in my classes, like reading is fundamental. And I know, and I was very big on words because when I studied education, I studied the fundamentals of um, not learning to read, but reading to learn. So I did a lot with the content. It's not necessarily about the content. It's kind of how you, how you get the kids to comprehend and analyze and synthesize the content and interact and engage with what's in front of them. And the number one reason why I was so effective was prior knowledge. I was very creative about tapping into the baby's prior knowledge, their neighborhoods, their communities, their culture, something that interests them, right? So, you know, teaching is reciprocity. 
Um, once you tap into what they know or what they're interested in, then there can be a mutual exchange of what you're trying to offer them. But I noticed that a lot of my babies in the class, even in high school babies, I call them babies, they really didn't come to the class with a real uh, yearning for reading, right? Low level vocabulary, low level comprehension, even basic words, you know, I would say, you know, like aristocracy or, or, or things of that, like, like basic six or seven grade words they were struggling with in a high school class. So we did a lot with vocabulary, even reading the textbook, right? A lot of times they would see different words and want to just kind of glaze and skim over them. And a lot of my lessons, we would just, it's not about the, the quantity, but the quality. Like we would just take a lesson and really focus on some of the major words. You know, if we talk about, um, if we talk about words like nationalism, colonialism, imperialism, and I would relate those words to their everyday experiences to see if they can relate so we can go a bit deeper. But just uh, I just noticed in the classroom, uh, unwillingness, a fear, a lack of exposure to just words and just a limited vocabulary. And, and you know, so part of my challenge as a teacher was to really expand their vocabulary. And we did a lot of journaling. We did a lot of journaling, you know, to help them to really make observations about the things they see in their world so they can be more inquisitive, right? It's not just reading is, right? If you just present it as just reading is boring, but I have many different ways to, to help them engage with the process while teaching uh, American world or African studies. Mm, that man, that, that, that's a lot to unpack. And I'm glad you said all of that because that right there, I mean, the aspect number one, what I picked up on, like how you said, teaching is reciprocity. You know what I'm saying? In terms of, you know, you being able to teach and engage, then you want feedback from them, activating that prior knowledge. I mean, and then that is something that is just, just so key. You know, it's like, it's more than you. I, I like your approach. And I know the kids missed you in the classroom. It's like, your approach is like, okay, I want to dialogue with you. I'm not going to stand up here and just, you know, give you all this information. And then you just listen to me. And I, I don't, you know, try to delve into what your experiences are, you know, where it is you come from or different things like that. You are all about, no, we are a community. Cause that's what, that's what I'm hearing. You know, it's yes. about a community. It's about us engaging and, you know, and listening to each other and, you know, and then you telling them about your experiences and they coming back and telling you about their experiences. And that right there is key. And what people have to understand, you know, that right there, those are the foundations of reading yes. you know, right there, you know, and, and you just dropped a lot of nuggets, you know, just in this first, you know, <laughs> 12 minutes, you know, of yes. our, you know, uh, conversation. And so what I want to do, though, because we're going to come back to that, I want to because I want okay. you to talk about why do you think that is in terms of where did that come from, where you have black children having those low levels of vocabulary, you know, not, you know, having the basics. So I want us to go back to the but I want to ask you, how did you grow up in, in, in terms of literacy? in your home? Was there, you know, was there lots of conversations, you know, you know, was there a lot of reading that you saw, you know, from your parents? Was that something, did, did you get those stories read to you before bed, you know, and those sorts of things? Did you grow up with a lot of print, a lot of books in your home? Yeah, so I would say on a scale of one to 10, I would say about a six growing up in my household. You know, my parents were, 
working class. They were working class, so they had to work a lot. But at the same time, you know, education was really important. And I remember before pre-K, you know, first of all, it starts with having to write your name. Like literacy is learning how to write and spell your name. So my name was Morris Howard Irvin Jr. And I remember my dad, he must have been out of work. He had a lot of time on his hands. But I remember him sitting me at the dining room table and writing, just making me write my name. Right? Making me write my name. And um, in addition to that, we would watch the news and talk about the news, right? And, and that was really important. And then, and then my parents would take me um, to their places of work. So I would get exposed to the technical vocabulary of what my mother did as an x-ray uh, technologist. And my dad was a maintenance man, right, in CMHA. So just being involved in, in my parents' careers, it opened me up to um, having different conversations about the different, like what my dad did for a living. And he would teach me words, like he would teach me you know, the word, I wasn't too much interested in, because he, you know, he was, you know, he was a maintenance man, but it, it took him a, like a lot of skills and reading manuals, right? He had to follow instructions. So again, I was teaching me that discipline to say, hey, son, I'm, I'm, I'm taking you with me on a job, you know, in an apartment complex, and we have this project in front of us, and he would pull out a manual, we would have to read it to figure out how to put something together. Even, even, you know, during the holidays, when he would, you know, he would, you know, I would have toys and things, right? He would make me sit down in front of him and go over and read <laughs> instructions. So it was really, um, really opened me up to that world. A lot of times us as families, we watched a lot of documentaries on music and culture. And we had, so, so literacy, in addition to like the, the paper and the print and the reading stories to me, we had that, that, that conversational literacy or that cultural literacy that really exposed me, you know, to our culture. And that really put me on my path. So yeah, so I would say about a six, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, they were not too too strict, but no, those are the, some of the things that my parents did for me early on in establishing my foundation. Wow, I'm just super, yeah, I mean, now why would you say a six? Because and the reason why I'm asking that is okay. because the way you broke that down, I mean, yeah. I mean I'm just thinking about in terms of number one, you said the, the, the conversational a literacy yeah. piece yeah. in terms of you guys yeah. watching documentaries together and and your dad uh taking you to you know the job with him and then you guys having to read the manual together and then you going on the job with your mom and all. I, I mean like all it. of that that is great and 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 I'm glad that you put it in that that context in terms of yeah. when you broke it down like okay so you really you were surrounded by literacy so what what would make you give it a six I think six, because like you're right. I'm glad you asked that question. And I guess in the formal sense, and I'm glad you pulled this out of me, comparing myself to like some of the white students I talk to or the white professionals when we talk about, there is their way, and this ties into the classroom, how white middle-class people teach our kids. It was very formal. It was very, read this newspaper, read this encyclopedia in Britannica, read and then sort of like the, the authoritarian power over discussion it wasn't a body kinesthetic it wasn't experiential it wasn't creative so you're right let's bump that up to an eight or a nine mm. because my experience was just as valid as theirs mm. so thank you for challenging me on that i appreciate that yeah definitely and and you, look iron sharpens iron okay because i mean for real for real you made me start having to go back and think about my own self in terms of how in yeah. ways in which 
I was surrounded by literacy. And again, I was thinking about, oh, I didn't get the stories read, you know, before bed. And I, I wasn't surrounded by, you know, I didn't have all of these books, you know, in my home, in my homes where it was like these bookshelves full of books and all of that. You're right. You're right. But I like how you broke down that conversational literacy piece too. That right there was cool. And I want you to, to actually, one of the things I want you to do is tell us again um, about the nine different uh, ways of learning. You know, I, I, I like that aspect. Could you, could you share that uh, real quick so I can, and then I'll actually too, for the listeners, what I'm going to do, I am going to put it in the description box so you yeah. all can, you know, know this, man, this, this is some, told y'all, this brother going to be dropping some nuggets. I told you. <laughs> Let me see if I can get the nine. So Howard Gardner, I think it's G-A-R-D-N-E-R. Okay. He did a research about nine multiple intelligences. And the, the ones that we use that are very dominant is really the verbal linguistic, right? The reading and the writing and the regurgitation of knowledge. Okay. So we also, we have the, the uh, verbal linguistic, we have the auditory, we have the visual spatial we have the body kinesthetic we have the music rhythmical okay. we have the naturalistic which means in nature okay yeah learning in nature. that's six right that is one two three four five, five six seven i got verbal i'm gonna repeat it back to you I got verbal auditory visual spatial kinesthetic Music, naturalist. Now, visual, yeah, because visual and spatial, that's separate. And then kinesthetic, mm-hmm. music, naturalistic. Yes. Seven. So that's eight. Is that eight? That's, that's seven. That's seven. I'm yep. missing two more. I can't remember the two that's, more. That's okay. No, that that's but but you said, but but what I'm gonna do is I'm going to have everybody, I'm gonna put in the description box, Howard. Gardner. Oh, I got it. Oh, I got oh. it. Let's go. Let's go. Hey. Hello. Say what? Uh. <laughs> yeah. So you have the, the intrapersonal, which means uh, your feelings, connecting with your feelings, like self-reflection, feeling, being in tune with your emotions. And that's all mm. about, that's how I was from jump. And my teacher did not validate, validate that from me. I had to learn right through a lot of my own um, trial and error that I'm a I'm a filler, right? And then the interpersonal, which means learning in community, right. socialization, group, teamwork, team building, coalition building, and consensus building. Let's go. Come on. Come on. Oh. That's what's up. This is what I'm we do. That out of my Bro. Yeah. <laughs> Real reading talk. That's right. <laughs> this is that's i told you a real reading talk y'all this is what's up man i mean those last two yeah yes yes verbal auditory visual spatial kinesthetic music naturalistic intrapersonal inter come on come on can i get an a <laughs> I love it. I love it, y'all. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We are talking again here to Brother Musa Morris Irvin, mm-hmm. educator, entertainer, all right. Uh mentor. Let me let me let me let me let me pick the book. All of that. Uh let's see. Here we go. Uh professional, yeah, youth development professional, writer, consultant. I mean, 
uh, 20 years in education, y'all. Okay, 20 years. All right. And right here, y'all know what this is. This is what we're doing. This is education right here. Right. Again, we are trying to, you know, number one, when it comes to that whole aspect of why Black children, and even in the Black community in particular, why there's low levels of literacy, you cannot start the story in the middle. And that's what I talk about a lot. We can't start the story in the middle because a lot of times, you know, people start to, when they start looking at the black community when it comes to literacy, they just, oh my goodness, man, those, you know, poor little black children, you know, they, they just can't read and, you know, and their parents, you know, they're not reading to them and, you know, and I, and you hear all this stuff and it's like that, here we go once again, you know, and then of course, here's another nonprofit that comes up to try to help them pull black babies and them pull black Profit families. <laughs> exactly. Say that one more time. Profit off of our pain and misery or perceived pain and misery, right? Thank you. Because we got we to gotta believe it for them to achieve it. Thank you. If we believe it, they're going to achieve it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That mindset. That my, And now that's going to segue us into my next question in terms of what I was asking you with the children that your babies, as you affectionately called them, um, and they're coming into your classroom and they did not have the vocabulary or they did not have the interest or they, like you said, had that, that glossy, that glazed look when it comes to the text. Where did, where did that come from? Yeah. So, so it's funny, I'm gonna I'm use a more recent example. When I left the classroom, I did a lot of community work. I worked in a lot of neighborhoods in Cleveland, whether it be the Mount Pleasant, whether it be Garden Valley, um, Fleet, Slavic Village area, Union Miles. So working in those communities, you learn a lot. There's one particular school I have a real affection for. It's called Anton Verdina, 71st and Kinsman. Uh, I've done a mentoring program there for the last four or five years. And you see the cycles of trauma. You see the cycles of trauma. And, you know, when you're in a perpetual state of trauma, fight, flight or freeze, right? You're not, you can't have access to your, your, your frontal lobe, you know, the, the seat of your, your rational thinking, your critical thinking, your executive function, which means you can, you know, make decisions and you can pay attention and concentration and et cetera. And when you, when you interact with the parents, you see that manifested in, in, in sometimes their baby's inability to just to regulate themselves, regulate their emotions, and really be grounded in who they are. <clears throat> so for me, that's, I mean, looking at it from that perspective, if the, if the mom or the dad had a negative experience with the school system from pre-K all the way up to 12 or dropped out of the school system, they have this nefarious outlook of education. They have this nefarious, distrustful outlook of teachers, whether you're black or white. And, and to me, that resistance, whether it was explicitly or internally is passed down to their children in, and so it's like a miseducation, right? One of my favorite books is The Miseducation of the Negro by Dr. Carter G. Woodson. Yeah, right? So just the, the trauma and the, um, us really believing the narratives and the stereotypes that we're not worth much, right? And all that plays a part in, like you saying, not really having that knowledge of self and our true history about how, you know, our, how intelligent we are. You know, how, how skillful we are, how resilient we are. You know, we just talking about just as learners. So I, I see that, you know, in, in, in the children 
that's really passed down from the parents' unresolved pain or unresolved, you know, experiences of trauma. I'm just talking about the education system, seeing that passed down, you know, to their children and, and just being in survival mode, right? When you're in survival mode, it's hard to reflect critically about yourself, about your family, about your circumstances, about what came before you when you're just surviving, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's really, you know, my biggest take because when I sit down with my mentoring programs, with like like the worst behaved kids and Anton Gordine, I'm talking about the young, they always give me the young men that are like the wild, the ones that so-called can't listen, right? Can't listen, can't learn, can't everything. Off the hook. And they, right. and they, and they want me to come and do a mentoring program. Mm -hmm. And when, when we talk about those multiple intelligence, I get them moving. I open up a book and read them a story. They're right there reciting what I've read immediately, right? Put on some music, get them in their bodies, get them out of their head read them a story, right? Have some, some sensory learning, tactile, right? Some visualization, some guided meditation, right? And then we have these like higher level conversations and they're in their executive functioning because they've been in their, their thinking brain has been engaged through their bodies. So I can come into any situation around the country and, and have the kids close that learning gap or education gap through these practices that have been in our uh, culture for centuries. Right, music, movement, storytelling, visualization, self-care, mindfulness, that's part of our heritage. So I guess I asked a part two to your question, like how do you close that gap? I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. It's really getting back to our culture. You, Cause any, right, you, and, and those kids, when, when they see me activated and they see me enthusiastic about it and I'm engaging, we're engaging together collectively, that's that, in, that's that interpersonal learning then they become more enthusiastic and more motivated and more inspired based on what I'm embodying through my body, right? Through the messages that I'm transmuting to the young brothers. So then they're immediately one of, man, I had them reciting higher level words in like third or fourth grade, memorizing words, using the definitions in the story, call and response. And they, and they learn literacy. So for us, it's just about knowledge of self, our approach. And we have to educate our children. We can't wait for you know, these, these systems these racist systems to educate our children. We have to educate our children on our own. And in, in a home or programs such as yours, programs such as mine, we can't wait from the outside in. We gotta do it from the inside out. We're mm. gonna keep just having the same tired, stale conversation, waiting for somebody else to save us. Thank you. Thank you. That <laughs> that right there, I mean, my God for real. I mean, that I, you took us, I mean, on a journey that a lot of times you know, a lot of people like you, you, you hear something like some of the things I've definitely, of course, I've heard this from people like Dr. Joy DeGruy, you know, she talked about that in terms of that whole, you know, uh, flight or fight, you know, uh, thinking mode and not having the uh, executive function functioning of our brains, you know, working because you're always in survival mode, you know, so I, I, I definitely I know you aware of, you know, folks like Dr. Joy DeGruy and, yep. you know, of course, Dr. Jawanza Kunjufu, yep. you know, people who been in the game in terms of saying all of these different things. But what's really just so sad though, is that we still, you know, uh, you'll have all of this different information and everything. But I think one of the issues that we're dealing with is that we need to make sure that this stuff, this information that's valuable is getting out to the masses. Cause I think that's, that's a big, it's like, just like our conversation right now where we're having, it's just so golden 
you know, but my prayer is that, you know, people who really need to hear this, that they are listening and they are able to get privy, uh, you know, to this knowledge so that they can understand that, hey, look, we can solve our problems. Just like you said, we need to get back to our cultural roots, all of those different things that you broke down. And one of the key things that I want to add to that too is the relationship aspect. Because I'm quite sure, and I definitely want you to expound upon that uh, some more, you being a black male. And more than just being a black male, because I know I've seen, you know, you can have somebody who's a black teacher in the classroom and they, you know, they come off sometimes, unfortunately, you know, kind of negative, or maybe they feel like, you know, they're supposed to do it according to this white standard, if you will, instead of, you know, trying to connect and say, you know what, you know, I'm from, I'm from this community, you know what I'm saying? I grew up, you know what I'm saying, in, in this black skin, you know, and a lot of different uh, things that our kids are dealing with. I know I've dealt with this well, and I know that not every black person has dealt with living in poverty because you do you have some black family you know some black uh folks you know they were raised you know what i'm saying in households where they didn't have to experience that survival mode and, and they did experience conversations with their parents and all that type of stuff but i'm talking about you know disproportionately you know in terms of in the black community yeah. where you have you know a lot of our black children especially when you have them in, in, in the inner city uh schools you know like an anton gradina which i've subbed there by the way so i know what you're talking about you know, in which, like you said, the kids, they have to, you know, get past whatever it is that they were dealing with, you know, before they got to school. And then you want them to sit down and, you know, what I'm saying be able to be engaged and all that. And then when they don't, you know, then they get in trouble and all of that type of stuff. So I want you, though, to speak to the aspect of just being a black male and just how engaged you are with the kids. How how key is that? How crucial is that? Yeah, it's, it's it's very crucial. One of my mentors, he, uh, he's in South Central LA, uh, Brother Torrance, Brandon Reese, and he taught me a lot when I was a school teacher out there. He put me on game and he got a program called See a Man, Be a Man. And, you know, you know, black man, you know, a, a black man that is well studied, I mean, right, doesn't really have to say much how we move our presence. You walk, I walk into a building, he walks into a building, we command respect. And of course, we're going to engage, right, and smile and, and, and really take care of our, our children. But, but, but that Black man, you know, from, from our, the way we move, the way we talk, the way we interact, our, our swag, our creativity, our love, our passion, our energy, our strength, our resilience, the struggles that we've been through, like telling our story, you can see it in the baby's eyes. Mm. And they love my stories as a school teacher. They still love them now, right? Just being able to connect around story, right? And, and, and the black man, you know, it, it's struggle. Like black woman, that's why we're together. Because, you know, our story is struggle, liberation. And that's how I teach. I teach for liberation. You can't be neutral. If you are African-American and you want to assimilate into this mess, you know, and try to be neutral, trying to be upper middle class, all that mess, you know, you're going to lose out. But if you understand what it means to struggle, if you understand what liberation means and freedom means, this internal process to liberate minds and bodies and spirits, and if you come with that type of ideology, oh man, you free those kids, you free the parents, you free the communities. So I've been in South Central LA, right? I've been in Cleveland, I've been in some of the some of the rough, rougher cities across the country, and Compton, Watts, and it's been the same approach. Me being embodied in who I am, 
me studying my our ancestors, me studying my own pain, right? You come in there with a higher power. This is a spiritual process, mm -hmm. right? Knowing yourself, knowing your worth, literacy is being tapped into something greater. And 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 as a black man, that's what we have if we if we could just tune into it. So yes, being a black man is so important. And the kids just, I have this, I'm just not just black kids, all kids. Cause I'm in, I'm in, you know, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, in like these white spaces. And it's the same in allness, if that's the word, we're gonna make up a word, in allness. Uh, you know, of, of our bigness, you mm. know, and just being in tune to what it means to be a black man that's educated. Mm. What did they say? Did Malcolm say that, Brother Elha said that's the da most dangerous weapon is, I don't know if he said it or not, but just mm. a, a black man, you know, who, who's, who's educated, right? Who's intellectual, you know, mm. who knows how to use his mind as a weapon, you know, right? That is, that is, a, that is a weapon. And I love to see brothers and sisters who we, you know, you know me, I love music, right? I love style, I love fashion, I love material things, but I love my spirituality, right? And I love my intellect, you know, more than anything, because that's the reason why I'm experiencing this level of abundance and success and prosperity, um, because of willingness to, to, to be literate, the willingness to, to, to investigate things underneath the surface. Mm. the willingness to study myself study my family study my culture study my religion study my history study the world you know um didn't philosophy start in africa you know so um yeah these things when i walk into the classroom that's why kids immediately hug me without without even a word exchange this has happened to me so many times I walk into elementary school, you know, they had those kids in the line, like they about to go to a concentration camp. They walk in them lands like they about to go to Auschwitz. I hate that, man. And then uh, some a kid, kids just come up and just, just hug me and they just get this energy and get back in line. Mm. That's happened to me so many times mm. because it's, it's that being tapped into that energy and that power mm. that we have as black men. Wow, that right there again, like, I mean, you just dropping it. I mean, this is just, and of course, as you're talking, I'm, I'm taking my notes because I'm like, okay, these are things in which, number one, I want to be able to uh, have recapped, you know, when we are, you know, at the end of our, our conversation. Okay, okay. And one of the things, just like, like how you said, in terms of the willingness, willingness to be literate. I like that. That is powerful. That is deep. And then the aspect though, too, a big part of what it is, is that it's the authenticity, the there realness, right? The realness, you know what I'm saying? And you know how kids are just like you said, I mean, you know, especially, you know, the especially obviously if they're younger, you know, of course, unfortunately, you know, when kids start getting, you know, older and, you know, if they got a lot of that mindset already set in from their parents, you know, a lot of times it's harder to break, break through. But in, in particular, especially with our younger children, it's like, like you said, I've seen that, you know, them walking through the halls and, you know, you got the teacher staring over them, looking at them like they are like the, the teachers, the warden, you know, and they're on their way to, uh, you know, jail, concentration camp, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, and right there, it's like the kids, they already feel on edge. So yeah. already when it comes to them trying to learn something, it's like, that's already hindered, like you already talked about before. You know, they, they feel like now, okay, I, I better not mess up. Oh my goodness, man, I mess up. I, I, I'm in trouble. And in particular with our black children, 
you know, so that aspect, and just like you said, um, it made me think about what Gil Scott Heron said, revolution starts with the mind, mm. you know, because you talked about in terms of the liberation aspect, you know, that aspect of that's what's being tapped into, you know, when you have that black teacher and in particular that black male and how engaging they are, just like how you are, you're tapping into that, to that, to that liberation piece, because everybody, that's a human natural thing. You want to be free. You want to feel free to be who you are authentically, you know, not somebody telling you this is how you are supposed to behave. Now, of course, we know in the world, yeah, you got, you have to have boundaries and, you know, we have rules. So I'm not definitely not saying that at all. You just do what you want to do. No, you know what I'm saying? But in terms of your personality, just like you said, how your personality is, you know, you're engaging, you know, you move around, you know, you like your music, you, you know what I'm saying? You're active. You know what I'm saying? And it's funny because that's how I am, you know, just that the animation, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, when you have that a part of you, you know, of course, we know there are times in which we know we have to contain ourselves or whatever the case may be, you know, exactly. You learn that, but still it's like, okay, that doesn't mean I suppress it to the point to where I'm like, okay, I can't be me. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they want to, they want the kids to, if we talk about mindfulness, right, I'm a, I'm a mindfulness practitioner and I, but the white mindfulness is very whitewashed because they want they want to use it to shut the kids down, not wake the kids up. They want to use it as a behavior modification technique to keep the kids quiet. When you want to tap into, you want to activate something that's laying dormant in these kids. So just think about how, yeah, something like mindfulness is used because of if you talk about white middle class teachers, there's an innate fear of black bodies. There's an innate fear of black children, and they feel innately inferior. So they want to like, you know, they always try to, the banana in the tailpipe, they're always trying to use something that that's spiritual, but they're trying to use it to control and subdue, you know? And when I'm, and when I'm in all white spaces, I say it, I'm like, no, this is not to, this is not a behavior modification technique. This is a spiritual liberation technique. So if you're using this to control kids, then you got to look at your practices, you know, a, as an educator, you have to look at your intention. So yeah, so I think when I, when I talk about when you talked about kids being fully self-expressed, that's like, that's a human need, right? You said authenticity and autonomy and integrity. And then and once that's allowed to thrive with boundaries, I, I can lead, I've led meditations with about 300 like black elementary school students in a gym with all white teachers looking at me crazy. Like, how did he do that? Because I ain't trying to control them. I remember, I remember many times I would, you know, they would bring me in and do like a motivational day. I would get the kids turned up. We dancing with each other. We flossing. We just moving, like creating that energy, like energy. And then I lead them with a meditation and get and do a visualization and it's silent in that gym. Hmm. Can't even get 20 kids to be quiet for a whole school year. I come in within 20 minutes and have complete influence. Wow. Wow. We tapped into something greater. And I, and I always say white middle class because, I, because that's, that's, that's the dynamic in schools. 85 to 90% of teachers are white middle class females. Mm -hmm. So I say that to bring in a statistic or to observe and describe a dynamic that's creating suffering for whites and blacks mm. because nobody's acknowledging the suffering that's happening because there's not a, there's not a respect for black culture. Mm. And yes, you know, we need to respect it also. We need to learn it. But at the same time, those who are in power 
I think it's, it's a great responsibility for them, you know, to, to be open, to be, to be in service. You know, I feel like I have a level of power and privilege in my life, which makes me more humble. So I'm always talking about power dynamics in schools because it's nothing but power. Hmm. It's nothing but power. Kids get two choices to submit or rebel. Like you said, you got the ones that, you know, don't want to yeah. disappoint. Right. You got the ones that's like, yeah, I'm going to be me. But right. they don't even know who they are. So then being them, it's like kind of like getting kicked out of class. Mm -hmm. So you got these two dichotomies, right? These polar opposites. Kids that are afraid to be them and kids like, man, screw you. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then you, you never, you always have like these extremes mm -hmm. and you have this whole middle ground where you can explore. Mm. I think education means, is it a ducery? It's a Latin word that means to draw forth from within. Okay. And I love that. I think it's spelled E-D-U-C-E-R-E. -E. I might be mispronouncing it. A ducere, mm -hmm. a ducere, a ducere, a ducere. That, that's means not to good. draw Okay. Yeah, to draw forth from within. So that's my goal, right? It's to get underneath mm -hmm. the surface because the kids are, you know, there's a lot on the surface that they're dealing with. And, you know, it's important for us. You know, when I'm in front of kids, man, it's like, man, I see an opportunity to shape young minds and to shape like you can change the course of somebody's existence just being a just being a positive inspirational teacher or mentor. Mm. And, and and that's why teaching is a noble profession. Yes. Parenting is a noble profession. Hello. Mentoring because we're well, we shaping lives. Yes. That's right. Wow. We're shaping lives. Mm. Wow. And it's interesting that even when you started talking about education, I started thinking about, I believe it was Dr. Amos Wilson. I know, you know, brother, Dr. Amos Wilson, uh, for those of you who don't know, please Google who he is. He, um, he is passed now, but um, he was uh, an, an, an activist, uh, uh, an African. Um, uh, he had the mindset of trying to empower Black people and understanding, you know, uh, our culture, our culture, you know, our history, and um, and understanding how important that is. Just like uh, Musa has uh, eloquently uh, told us, you know, that right there is the core, the essence, right there of education. You know, and education is not just the mere spitting out of facts. Okay, just because somebody, and that's the thing, just because you have a child who is able to get, you know, all A's or whatever the case may be, you know, that does not mean that they have been educated, you know, and for those who understand, you know, especially in this, you know, uh, white supremacist uh, system that we are in when it comes to education, it's really about indoctrination. It's about trying to shape, you know, that child's mind into thinking, okay, this is the standard. Just like it was this quote, oh my goodness, I was trying to uh, remember it. Uh, I just had heard it from a uh, I was listening to a uh, podcast, Dr. Greg Carr um, and Karen Hunter. They do uh, this podcast on, um, and they aired on YouTube. And he quoted from Dr. Asa Hilliard. Um, and I know he has an African name. And um, what he talked about in terms of, he said, the first thing that Dr. Greg Carr said that Dr. Asa Hilliard said was there is no achievement gap. And he was basically saying the gap is from what it is that you already know between what it is that you are capable of achieving. Okay, and I and I and I heard. I said, "Oh my God, All right, I'm about to write that down." Then I got to post. I mean, because I'm like, "Dang, man!" I'm like, "But again, you know, all of these things for real, for real. That 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 root 
that goes back to our African ancestry, our history. You think about the griots, you know, you think about the storytelling, just like you said, how, you know, you go into the classrooms, they love to hear your stories. And right there, right there, that's literacy. And that's what I want. And that's what I'm really, really trying to drive home, you know, to my parents, to my black parents, for real. It's like, when you just talking to your children, as they call it, they call it extra talk. Okay, I know, I know you know about the extra talk and the business talk, you know, that, that, you know, they tell you about, you know, being an educator, the business talk is, you know, for those who don't know, business talk is when you're telling uh, the, ch the child things like, you know, go do your homework, go make up your bed, you know, go take your bath, sit down for dinner, you know, uh, get up and go brush your teeth, you know, a lot of directions, you know, not really no type of engaging conversation. And it was a study done by, um, I think it was Hart and Risley. They had did a study and they basically, and they had was, you know, um, going into different homes. They went into, you know, white upper middle-class homes and they went into, you know, lower income homes where it, had, it was a lot of black families. And this study, I can't remember the year it was done, but basically that's when they found out the whole aspect. I think it's like the 30 million word gap, you know, yeah. Kindergartners come into school with basically, and because, and they noticed one of the things was that that extra talk was not happening in the homes where there was lower income, in particular yeah. black homes. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Do you want to? No, wanna... no, no, I remember this. No. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Exactly. And so that extra talk, you know, just like you said, in terms of see that that goes back again to our African ancestry, that that oral storytelling, that oral history that we come from, engaging, having conversation, the elders, they're telling the stories and the kids listening and then even just having them conversations with your parents. You know, you seeing your parents and, you know, they're they're cooking and all of that. And you, you know, what is that you're making? And they want you to come in and they're, you know, come here, come here, baby, you can help me, come help me make these biscuits, you know, come, you know what I'm saying? You want, can you get, get me the pepper? You know what I'm saying? All of that. And then, you know, tell me about, you know, then that's when the conversations, because it's comfortable comfortable. Like you said, you don't, you're not feeling stressed. You're not in that survival mode feeling. You feel relaxed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my dad, you know, we both, you know, play pool and I remember the first time he introduced me to a level. So he was all, he was always teaching me like, you know, I know how to level a pool table because he had a leveler and when the pool table will be off, he would use that as an opportunity to teach me. Hmm. And I remember, or use that as an opportunity to teach me about how to measure like the numbers on there, right? Like how to level things. So again, like you said, that extra talk is, is a bit what's missing now, right? We can say it's, it's a bit missing in our communities for whatever reason, but that, 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 that type of, those type of information is what I'm sure you pass on to your children and what I pass on to my children using those opportunities. And they bring it up now as young adults. Like, yeah, man, remember dad, when I was in you know, sixth grade and you introduced me to that word surplus, you know? And I use that, so just different concepts that, you know, our kids retain from that extra talk. Mm. You'll be surprised, right? And like you said, yeah, we, you know, discipline and, and like you said, the business talk, but that, that extra talk, talk is subtle, but it's powerful. Yes, yes, it really right. is. And, that, and that's the thing, it's like, I think when we are able to articulate that, you know, um, in the black community, especially, especially when you have communities, you know, a lot of us, you know, we, you know, dealing with the economic aspect, you know what I'm saying? Anything positive, you know, black folks, we always at the bottom. So, you know, we know that, you know, literacy, you know, even though for real, for real, 
It says, um, I was looking up some information about that. Half of US adults can't read a book written at the eighth grade level. Now, it didn't just say black. It said adults, period. <laughs> okay, so the low levels of literacy with let's again real reading talk, you know, it's not just in the black community. All right, this is something for real. This is nationwide. You know, America has some of the most, you know, highest numbers when it comes to illiteracy. You know, you know what I'm saying? For real, for real. But of course, you know, as we know in the black community, as 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 we know, it says that when a, a white person has a cold, we got pneumonia. All right. Mm. So even though they might be dealing with issues like we are, but for us, it's like, you know, it's way, way, way 10,000 times worse. OK, mm. you know, so with that being said, I want you to be able to uh, hone into again as we start, you know, coming, you know, to, towards the end of our podcast. I want you to be able to uh, give us some some different uh, practical things, easy things. Before we do that, actually, let me let me do this real quick because I want to ask about the whole thing with COVID. That's what I wanted to do. With the aspect of our families now having to have the children at home learning, okay? And I know I've been seeing, and I know you've seen as well, where you'll have, uh, you know, black folks, you know, putting these memes out and putting, you know, talking about, man, I see what these these teachers is talking about, boy. Oh my goodness, man. You know, I can't wait till these schools open. You know, boy, boy, I got to deal with this. And, and then, you know, unfortunately, you would hear, you know, uh, horror stories. You know what I'm saying about kids, you know, not, you know, being abused. Unfortunately, you know, while they're at home, you know, and doing this distance learning and, you know, you're hearing all these negative things. But my thing is, I want you to address in terms of, you know, how we can get into, uh, get the information out to the parents in terms of ways in which they can use this as an opportunity to start honing in on educating our children ourselves. How, how, how can we do that? Yeah, I mean, you talked about mindset. Mindset is, is so important. And, you know, a crisis is is a gift in disguise. You know, the, you know, and and this COVID has revealed something that's already been there, right? It's just it just exposed it even more, you know, in terms of the uh, in terms of the issues. And, you know, um, there's been an opportunity, you know, I know a lot of folks that that's seen a positive in this has seen this as an opportunity to spend time right and time is something you can't get back time is something that right that's the most expensive thing that that you can't get back so you know this this, this COVID situation and, and being spending more time with your kids right if, if if you see it as a burden and then like just like you mentioned about this whole narrative about right now we see what the teachers are going through. But if you understand your role as, as, as the child's first teacher, it's all about how things show up, right? It's all, if it doesn't show up like this, then there's no point. But if you see your role, it's all about roles, like the black man and the black woman and the black family. And if you see it as an opportunity, right? To spend time with your kid and and to be their first teacher right then COVID is is an, is an opportunity to heal to connect to spend time with 
right? To slow things down, to, re to reflect critically. And, and think about how, I mean, we're, you know, 70s and 80s kids, multiplication tables and, and you know, going for walks, you know, and, and, and having to be creative and not having things laid out for you. This is definitely what COVID has created, uh, an opportunity, you know, for, for parents to really be a bit more creative with their children, if it shows up that way, right? I mean, if it shows up that way. And, and that's what I would say, right? You have to, you have to think differently. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's why I want to really, yeah, really end on that. Well, not end on that, but to speak on that. That's what I want to say on that point. Like this has been an amazing opportunity to slow things down and to, and to have a different perspective and, right, and to really be with your kids. But if you see it as, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you yeah. Know, even my kids are in college, even when they, they're adults, when they came home hmm. abruptly from college because of COVID. Yeah. We did what we did when they were six and seven. We told stories, we cracked jokes, right? We spent time with each other, we entertained each other. You know, hmm. we talked, we talked, we analyzed movies, we watched documentaries. So I think that was the culture that, that I created in my family, like the interpersonal learning, the interpersonal learning, self-reflection, talking about systemic injustices, like talking about current events, talking about our own emotions, talking about our grief. So that, so this, this, this COVID situation for me, raising my family, even though they, my kids are adults, it just revealed what, what, what I've been educating them all along about spending time and spending quality time. So we talk about COVID, COVID revealed how much, how much do you really know your kids? How much do you really know your kids? And this give me an opportunity if it shows up that way to really connect. Mm. Which is tough if you haven't really connected and engaged with yourself. If you don't, if you never take a hard, long look at yourself in the mirror, you sitting there with six kids, like, mommy, what are we gonna do today? I don't know that. You having a lot of anxiety and discomfort and, and dis-ease. And what do we want to do with our dis-ease? You want to drink it away. You want to smoke it away. You want to, you want to text it away. And COVID exposed everybody. People couldn't run anymore. People couldn't hide out anymore. It was just you, your spouse, your significant other, and your children. Seven days a week. You couldn't do, you couldn't hide. So this is a real opportunity to see what people are really made of. I mean, in that regard, right? Not to not to invalidate, you know, us in our communities suffering and, and dealing with some of the you know systemic inequalities. Yes, yes. But at the same time, we're not victims. We're not victims. We're very resourceful. We're very creative. And um, this was a, this is a real opportunity to take a look at ourselves mm. if it showed up that way. Mm. I look at myself. <laughs> I caught COVID. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't. I got COVID. Mm. You know, I had to take a real look at myself, you know, and, 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 and catching, catching this, you know, it allowed me to, to kind of test the principles that I teach people, the self-care, the introspection, this being positive, you know, the dealing with all the, the shame and the guilt and, and, and transforming that into something that's going to propel me even further. Like, 
I had to practice what I'm what I'm preaching, you know, being 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 depressed, being sad about this, feeling guilty, you know, and I had to really use this as an opportunity to go a bit deeper mm. within myself to come out through the other side. And are we willing to to look that fear in the face so we can work through the fear, work through the distress to get to that, which is liberation. I feel more liberated now than ever because I went through it. Wow, wow. Y'all see why I had this brother here, Brother Musa, on my yeah. podcast, Real Reading Talk, <laughs> right here because he brings it real. I mean, uh, these right here, these are things in which a lot of times either people don't know how to articulate it or we'll have these like, you know, conversations, uh, you know, which is good, you know, barbershop, beauty salons, or, you know, you have a conversation with, you know, with your girls or your dudes or whatever the case privately. But I'm glad we're able to talk about this out in the open, you know, on this podcast so people can understand all of these things you're talking about is about liberation. And just like the name of my YouTube channel is called Reading is Freedom. Right. Because that's the key, one of the keys to be to reading you know being free okay being free just like you said being free to be who you are and i love that point how you said you're getting to know your kids but before that you got to know who you are first i mean that right i'm like like this they look at you like mommy what are we gonna do today right exactly they looking at you and you like you, you you've never had to face Mm, mm, mm. really you know because whether you're rich poor black or white in america you can hide out with with these modern conveniences with this technology like you can find a lot of ways to hide out it's true COVID exposed a lot Mm. you know and just to really um acknowledge what you're doing with this literacy i don't have my own business because i went to college i have my own business because i read I got more of an education after college than I did in college. Come on, say that for real. That's it's real reading talk. My willingness to be literate, not waiting for somebody to give me the answers. Come on. I took what I wanted. I don't sit around waiting for somebody to give me that, right? Give me That's this education. Right. And the education they give black people is that we're inferior, we're second class citizens. We don't deserve to be at the table. We better go at the little kitty table on Thanksgiving, a little crumbs. Right, right. The, table. Sure. the little my knees hitting the hitting the table. That little <laughs> I'm gonna be at the big table. I got room. Putting us in the corner. I wanna be at the big table. Oh, that's right. Like people 57 years old, still eating at the kitty table. And they want and you supposed to be happy. You better be happy. Mm. He's all sorts of hitting the table. Please. You better wake up. Start reading. Yes. Thank you. Or make our own table. Thank you. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about, Musa. We got to build our own table. Build our own table. Quit always waiting. Waiting waiting. to invite you in and all of that. Love the sky. Exactly. And then what's so sad is that you you want somebody by you. They already told you they don't want you in. They already said, they made it clear, I hate you. I don't want you in here. And then finally, because a law has been passed to let you in, then it's like, 
Okay. All right. Y'all come on in. And then you get dogged out and, and spat on and all. And just like you said, okay, you can come in, but you got to go sit at the little table, though. This is a grown you, you man. Sit at the little table. <laughs> <laughs> Salty as heck. Salty. Eating a little juicy. You can't even have real juice. Got <laughs> a little juicy juice, a sippy cup. I don't want no sippy cup. I'm 62 years old. <laughs> See? <laughs> Real read it talk, y'all. This is what it is, y'all. Yeah, man. You know, it's it's about respect. Yes. One word, man. We and you know, self-respect is important. And we do, and I do, and I don't do this whole black on black stuff, but you know, respect is important, man. So respect, you know, I respect myself first, man. I respect my my people and my community, man. I'm not looking to get respect from without, but I demand it because I got it from within. So I demand respect everywhere I go. That's right. I'm not looking for them to respect me, you know, but I demand, I, I assert it, right? Because when I show up in this world, man, I'm confident. Mm. Mm. So also is freedom, but it's also self-confident because you know how to talk to people and yep. you know how to listen. Yep. My wife was like, how'd you know that? <laughs> Where did you? Please. Come on, all day, all day. We ain't supposed to read. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and as much as I breathe, man, that's I, right. I write, I journal, that's all letters. I, we articulate, you talked about this conversation with critical thinkers. Yep, yep. Like you said, I think we just need to, to, to bring this in a more systemic mass level way to get our people to understand the nuances of what we already have inside of us. Yep. Oh. that's right that's right and 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 the way you bring in it though it's it's just just that whole aspect that that confidence aspect you know what i'm saying and just like how you said what made you start your business it wasn't because of the college degree that you have yes, it's no. because of through you reading reading voracious mm, reader mm, mm. that's what i'm talking about that's what i'm talking about that self-knowledge yep that's right. up to all different types of knowledge, whether yep. it be about business or history or culture mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. intelligence or psychology or neuroscience, mm -hmm. philosophy. Mm -hmm. I studied all that and I applied it to my business. Mm. Wow. And this, these are these are the jewels and the nuggets that our people need to hear because we already know, and we got to go into to the statistics that are obvious. But usually, when you have kids who aren't reading. Nine times out of 10, they don't see their parents reading. You know, nine times out of, if you have a kid who's not into studying and learning, nine times out of 10, they're not seeing their parents or caregivers around them doing that. So that's something right there, like you said, in terms of how you make sure you help to develop, you and your wife, develop that culture of literacy in y'all's household, where uh, knowledge and, and reading and learning is high on y'all value ladder. And that's something that, our families need to hear. And then the aspect of you saying in terms of you taking ownership of your education, you taking ownership of your learning, you right. seeking that knowledge, not waiting, not saying that. And then when, cause that's crazy. When I would see those memes and, and, and the parents talking about, man, I see what these teachers are talking about. I'm sorry, man. I was the one sitting there thinking, I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, no, no, no. See, 
I didn't even my kids would go to a traditional school, whatever the case, because I've, I've often on our homeschool, I've had a traditional school home, all that back and forth. But I've always told my kids, I said, listen, I said, no, your education started here at home for me and your dad. OK, I said, that's where it started from. That's the foundation. Right. I said, anything that you get from there is supplementary or whatever the case, you take the best and leave the rest. I said, but Ooh. you don't know who you are. Right. <laughs> OK. You ain't going to let nobody tell you what, you know what I'm saying? That you are waiting for them or you waiting for them to teach you stuff. I'm like, no, 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 no. You be empowered. And even when I would go in those schools and substitute and tell those kids, I tell them kids the same doggone thing I tell my kids. Right. I said, no, you don't wait for nobody. I said, you learn yourself. Mm. We ain't talking about Jada's there. We talking about Satia's <laughs> I'm done. See? This is a y'all. We're gonna do a reprisal of that movie. <laughs> we go back to Kid State, y'all. Kid State, Eastway, pool table. <laughs> That's how we can talk like this to each other. For real, man. Real, real. Oh my goodness, man. Oh wow, man. You just cool. I love it. I love and I love how and see, and the thing is, is that the young people need to hear this and adults too. They need to understand that whatever profession, whatever it is that you decide to do, make sure that whatever you're doing, number one, that you love what you're doing, that it can make an impact. Okay. And I and you hone in on your craft. But the key is is that that also too that you're able to be your authentic self. You don't wanna be in no place, you know, working a, a job or having a business or whatever, and you cannot be you. You want to be authentically who you are. And, and right here, and just like uh, Musa was talking about in terms of the reading is freedom, reading also brings self-confidence. That aspect is key. That's key for us, right? That's key. With that self-doubt and that fear. Yep. No, we don't, we don't, we don't think we're worthy. Mm. We're not worthy. So no matter what white people say stuff, we say stuff way worse. Because mm. 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 we bought into it. We bought into, we bought into that. What, what was created, right? I, I get the systems. Yep. Buying into that line. But once you free yourself of that garbage, yeah. I still have those self-defeating thoughts. Of just course. Notice them. Yes. And just and just step right into them. Right, exactly, exactly. I was just reading it actually. Um, the fire next time. I'm finally. I know you read this. I'm I'm I'm, I'm Janie. Come lately on the fire next time. No, I haven't read. I haven't read. Uh, oh, big eyes. I'm okay. What <laughs> brother James Bond. <laughs> to read oh, big eyes. <laughs> oh man, that that's all that he's able to see. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? What. <laughs> What was visionary? You're so funny. <laughs> all in love, y'all. You know you talking you about No question. For real. For we real. Some jokes around, but that brother was cold. Cold. Okay. Paris going to Paris. He was cold. Yes. No, before his time with. Yes. Yeah. Long was cold. So I've read a lot of his essays, right? A lot of his readings, but I haven't read that book. So definitely. Okay. Yeah. 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 He definitely he talked to him. Let me, let me just, I want to see real quick. I underlined it. Um, see if I can get it real quick for everybody. Cause I thought that was so powerful. He talked about it in terms of being free. I can just pretty much sum it up. He was basically saying, Oh, here it is. Oh, I got it. 
To defend oneself against a fear is simply to ensure that one will one day be conquered by it. Fears must be faced. As for one's wits, it is just not true that one can live by them. Not that it is if one wishes really to live. So basically in a nutshell, what he was saying is that if you really want to live, because we all going to have fears, he said, you got to face the fears. Absolutely. That, that's the key right there. But again, you know, like we are talking about going back to the whole aspect of developing that culture of literacy in the black community, you know, understanding our babies got to understand that reading is freedom. Reading is being self-confident. You know, reading gives you that, that, that aspect of, of understanding that you know your place in the world. You find out who you are. You know, you find out, you know, just like in a lot of different books and things that I'm reading and stuff, I'm like, oh my goodness, man. I'm like, I notice the books. I notice certain books that I read. You know, I'm like, okay, I may start on the book or whatever. And it's, you know, from a historical aspect. And I'm like, okay, I know how I am. I have to put it down, digest it. And then I may have to go pick up a, a, another book that's a little bit more kind of, you know, a, a little more calm or something that, you know what I'm saying, where I don't really have to put on that thinking, right. type thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You know, and that's what I noticed how I am. I'm that type of person, but that's okay. You know what I'm saying? So again, man, oh my goodness. I Now what I want you to do, two, two, last, two last things real quick for us. I want you to give us three ways in which we can help, we can tell our families to, uh, you know, start developing that culture of literacy. And the last thing I want you to tell us is, what book are you reading? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. So three ways, mm -hmm. you know, to develop the, the culture of literacy. I, and we're going to double back to, mm -hmm. you know, the conversation. I love, I love, did we say the extra talk? Yep. Um, you know, I think us as, as parents, really understanding how to engage our kids in dialogue, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that starts from when, they, when they're able to, you know, speak, mm -hmm. right? Um, so even, even as they go from toddler to, you know, early adolescence to mid to late, that conversation is really important, you know? Um, so I think that's one. Yeah. Just being able to connect with your children. I know for me, my, my kids and I, we always had uh, certain rituals. Mm -hmm. And I know when we would be in that kitchen, it would be an opportunity to really talk or for me to listen about their day. And as I just listen to them, so the ritual of literacy is listening to our kids, then I'm hearing things that I can kind of support them with to pull out bigger concepts. You know, all the conversations about injustices and racism and all the concepts and the ideas really came in our kitchen. Listen to my kids talk about the society that they found themselves in as they got older. Mm -hmm. So just like really being able to get to know your kids and know their interests. Mm -hmm. To me is number two. Like if you know your, I think number two is once you find out what your kids are interested in, then they'll be less resistant to read something whether it be a, a pamphlet, whether it be a magazine, you know, whether it be like reading, watching something and journaling. So tapping into their interests, whether it's computers or animals, entertainment, music, and you can use that as an opportunity 
to, uh, to help them become more literate based on what they're passionate about and, and based on their interests. So my two. And then I think three, I, this just can't, I have so many, but my third would be like through cooking. Like I know like, and when my father was, my father was a handyman. So he taught me literacy um, based on reading pamphlets and manuals and putting things together. But like making like recipes with your kids, like looking at those different recipes and making something fun. I mean, you can teach your kids a lot about, um, um, you know, literacy in terms of reading, in terms of, uh, of math, right? So you can take that opportunity of eating, which is really big in our culture, right? The, 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 the concept of food and, and, and maybe, you know, making something with your kids and then reading, reading the, the instructions with them on how to create something. So those are, the, those are the three things that just really came to my mind. And, and I think the fourth one, okay. for me, I'm doing one more. Okay, I love it. When we had movie, we took our kids to the movies and it was like a movie, like 12 Years a Slave or Fruitvale Station or something like very provocative. Mm-hmm. We would sit in the car like right in the movie parking lot, just talk or whatever. If you're taking a walk back to the movie theater, whatever. Yeah. So like having an engaging media, whether it's an engaging song, whether it's a controversial song or whether it was a derogatory song. Mm-hmm. I would, when my kids were, because they listened to stuff that was a bit, uh, just like we did growing up. Right. But I used, or even if it was a TV show, mm-hmm. using that as an opportunity to teach your kids about literacy and, and bigger concepts and bigger ideas through media. Mm. I love it. I love it. I'm going to recap on that one. Number one, to make sure I got them right. The first one is conversation, the extra talk. Number two, finding out their interests, finding out your children's interests, um, engaging with them with that. Number three, cooking with your family. Okay. Like you said, cooking, you know, eating as well, because you talked about in terms of, you know, the food aspect, of course, being a big part of our culture. And then the last one you said, movie night, or not just movie night, just media, period. So it could be a movie, it could be a documentary, whatever. And then afterwards, y'all engage in conversation, you know, after that and talking about, especially if it's something, like you said, provocative or, you know, something that's, uh, you know, really uh, edgy or whatever the case may be. So I got them right? Yep. Perfect. Mm, I love it. I love it, y'all. These are nuggets, y'all. And I forgot to mention... When y'all listen to Real Reading Talk, make sure you have your notebooks and pens, okay? <laughs> Crayons, you know, color pencils, whatever it is you like to write with. Make sure you <laughs> see, we, we drop nuggets here. I, I, I have guests on here, you know, uh, who are brilliant, you know, and they are confident, you know, they read, they are doing great things in the community. So I'm about empowering our communities. And so uh, in, you know, when you're getting that information, you need to, you know, a lot of times you're not going to remember the stuff that you, you know, are listening to. That's why I usually, I have, please, I'll keep me a notebook with me. I got notebooks in my purse, little miniature ones. My, my son, <laughs> you know, for the Eid, you know, uh, <laughs> all he could afford to give me was a couple of uh, little <laughs> spiral little notebooks. So I said, yeah. I said, that's all right. <laughs> I said, that's okay. I said, because guess what? they will be used and I sure use them puppies. Okay. I mean, with all my, whatever, if there's something that's on my mind, I'm listening to something or whatever. Someone need to jot down. I got my handy dandy notebook right there. 
Okay, so that's that's what we need to do. All right. And I love too how the journaling piece that oh, yeah. right there, that's key. And that's something too that we really, really got to make sure we are encouraging our children to do more of. Because I think sometimes with kids, you know, especially with black children, they be they think that, well, if they don't know how to, you know, write a sentence in the the correct way or whatever the case. So they figure that, okay, well, I don't know if I should be writing. No, right. you being an educator, wouldn't you say that even if they're not writing in oh. the structural form, they should be right. Even if it's like some words, maybe their thought, maybe in their mind immediately, they're like, I'm mad. And they put, I'm mad. Yeah. It's fluency. You know, you're building up fluency and frequency. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not, that has, you can write for, a, you know, for many different reasons. Right. And just getting them comfortable with the process of writing. Mm. Really, mm. That's what I started with some of my students when I was out in LA, like they were, they wrote about gangs. That's what they wanted to write about. But I was taking them, I was I was using their, their knowledge about gangs, their prior knowledge to talk about World War One, World War II, the mm -hmm. French Revolution, and mm -hmm. how some violence is violence. And it looks very, very different in your neighborhood, but it's based on the same concept, territory, mm -hmm. power, you know, mm -hmm. et cetera. So yeah, like, you know, I think prior knowledge is getting kids just to write things down. And it's, and it's, it's that, is that alone time, right. getting to know yourself, getting to clarify your thoughts. Mm. Mm. That's deep, that's the, yeah, we, wow, man, again, you just, you dropping it, and this is just so, so awesome, and it's so needed, definitely, yes, definitely, yes, we definitely appreciate you, and my last, my last question, like I said, what you reading? Yeah, it's a book, and I, I don't. I'm, I want to. I don't want to mispronounce his name, but the book is called Grandmother's Hands. Okay. I'm writing that down. Yes, Mama. Nakim. R E S M A A. Okay. It's called My Grandmother's Hands. My Grandmother's Hands. Okay. It's about racialized trauma. Oh. And his perspective is. It's really. It's really dope when he talks about. He doesn't call it white supremacy. He calls it white body supremacy. Because he says, if it's if it's hysterical, it's historical. So us as black people, when we have a, a, a if if it's a situation where we want to like soothe a white person or their, or fear comes up, right? We feel it in our body. Mm. Person feels threatened to to want to annihilate us, or they want to or they want to run away, right? Mm. They feel it. So he says the key to really dismantling racism is to notice the, 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 the body sensation because that's been passed down for generations. So he says, if it's, a, it's, if it's hysterical, then usually it's trauma passed down that's historical. That's one of the premises of his book. So it's really, it's right on time because it's talking about racialized trauma and how to free yourself of that. It's really notice what happens in the body because that's the first thing when you have a reaction, you feel it in your body. Oh, oh my goodness. So, yeah, one of the popular stuff is my stomach. Yeah. yeah. Wow. God. That's what I'm reading right now. I'm enjoying it too. That's good. Oh, wow. Well, that definitely, again, that's going to go in the description box um, as well when I upload this podcast on Anchor. Um, great platform to, if you were trying to start a podcast, great easy way. It made it a whole lot easier because I had actually started a podcast three years ago and it was so it was the, you know, technicalities of it that I was like, that was slowing me up. 
So I definitely appreciate uh, Anchor uh, coming up with this concept. So being able to just easily upload it and guys, yeah, definitely check it out on there, Spotify as well. And again, I want, um, I want to thank our dear brother, Musa, in the house the educator, all right, mentor. I got a good look, even though it's not a, it's not a long list, but you know, my memory, I'm like, okay, wait a minute, hold up. Right. It's right, educator, consultant, yes. entertainer, writer, and youth development professional, 20 yes. years in education, y'all, mentoring, community building, equity. All right, Austin around racism work. Married 23 years to an awesome veterinarian and two young adult children in college how can they find you musa and tell everybody what you are doing right now yeah so you can find me on instagram is the real mansa t-h-e-r-e-a-l-m-a-n-s-a or facebook you can just look me up as morris urban m-o-r-r-i-s E-R-V-I-N. Those are the, the, the fastest ways you can get in touch with me. What I'm doing currently now is I have a couple of offerings on Zoom. I'm doing an anti-racism personal development, like four-week series, Monday nights, hour and a half, or really two hours. We're diving into, to, to uh, like I said, like the historical trauma in racism. And I'm, and I'm providing audiences, white and black, with the tools and the awareness and the consciousness to have conversations where we can confront each other, challenge each other, and also support each other, you know, about the parts we pay, play in terms of systemic racism. I also do my self-care class, self-care Sundays. I do a, a wake up Monday, just meditation, music, and storytelling. And also I do personal coaching sessions also. In addition to that, I have a couple of opportunities to travel again, even though with COVID. So I'm, I'm looking forward to working with a couple of uh, private schools, a couple of co-ops around, you know, teaching them um, how to connect with their children using mindfulness and, and some communication practices that I've learned in my journey. So just looking, looking forward. And eventually I, I definitely want to work on, uh, you know, opening up my own school. It's going to happen. I need to start writing my charter. I need to, you know, I have a board and I need a few more board members. I want to start raising these funds. So that's, that's next on the rise. And so my next move, I want to be my best move. Oh, so, yeah. love yeah. it. Oh, and that just, oh, you said school. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely, I so definitely want to, you know, anyway, I can contribute with that. We got to do, we got to get this. We got to get something. And that's the, you talking about a nugget in a gym and a resource that's accessible. Yeah. For all, but for us first. Yes. You know, we don't want to discriminate, but this is about us. It's about black families. It's about black children. It's about black people. It's about black culture. That's it's right. about black consciousness. That's right. That's right. Exactly. You know, we 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 gotta heal, man. I mean, you know, we <laughs> you talk about uh enslavement, then you know, PNS, Jim Crow, discrimination upon discrimination upon discrimination. I mean, it's like you know, just like Dr. Joy DeGruy, she talked about in terms of, okay, you know, it's like you hit me in the leg, but then you want me to heal, but you still keep hitting me in the leg over and over again. It's yep. like, uh, duh, it's not going to heal because you keep beating me yep. in my freaking leg. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So, yep. yeah, 
Wow. Well, again, I appreciate you. We all appreciate you. Thank you so much. This is so much fun. Yes. I'm so happy. Oh, it definitely was. Definitely. I, oh my goodness, man. And I, God willing, inshallah, I got to have you back on because I, especially too, uh, we're going to talk about it another time. I want to talk about more delving into that mindfulness has been whitewashed. When you said that, I was like, oh, another show. <laughs> <laughs> For real. I'm like, another show. You got to definitely come oh, on. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Well, I appreciate you again, and I thank everybody for tuning in for another episode of Real Reading Talk, where we talk about those real systemic issues, unfiltered, no sugar, about why there are low levels of literacy in the Black community and ways in which we are combating those together. Thank you all for joining, and make sure you subscribe to my podcast, and make sure that you go and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Reading is Freedom, as well, and I'm also a reading tutor pre-K through fourth grade. If you're looking for a reading tutor, go to my website, abclearntutoring.site. And last part, if you are interested in donating to our organization, ABC Read, all right, ABC, that all things literacy, ABC Read, we give away books, like I mentioned, Fire Next Time, books that represent Black people, Black culture, Black experiences, to our Black families in particular. No, I don't discriminate. We don't discriminate, but we taking care of home first because we need that help big time, all right? So go to abcread.org to donate to our organization as well. Thank yeah. you, everybody, and peace. peace.